Well, good morning. My name's Lloyd Shadrach, one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship. For those who may not know, if you're a guest, myself and uh, Rob Sweet are two teaching pastors, and, and we rotate back and forth uh, between our Brentwood and Franklin congregations. Um, so Rob is, is, is at Brentwood today, and the message, of course, that he teaches there, he'll be teaching here next week. Uh, I want to... Um, I want to address something, if I may, before we dive into this subject today. Um, it was two weeks ago that I, I, I spoke and I gave a message, and uh, I used an illustration, and uh, you, if you were here, you'll remember this, but I, I, was, I was noting Christ's words to us would be, believe in someone who asked you to give up everything, basically. But I used a Colin, the Colin Kaepernick ad, and, and, and at Brentwood, when I had done that, I, I did it and got some feedback, you know, pushback on that. And so here, I want you to know, I, I, you remember I qualified it, I super qualified it. Um, but, but, but in that, I, I, want you to, I want you to know, and, and I, I, someone brought this to my attention, and, and I want to address it. I said, when I was making that, and I was trying to, honestly, I'm trying to diffuse it so I don't get any more emails, but, I could, <laughs> but, in that, but, but, it, it, but it's okay. But what I said was, uh, what I didn't say at when I said here was, I, I, I did say, you know, I don't, I don't agree with what he did. That, that's a, another issue. But then I, then I went on and I went, you know, I don't even agree with who he is. And uh, someone brought that to my attention. And I want you to know uh, that's not right. And truly, I owe him an apology, which I'm not sure how I would do that. But I, I, none of us ever would need to say, you know, I don't agree with some, who someone is, you know, and I, and I don't know him. And so I, I said it publicly, I want to say it publicly to you, that I'm sorry I said that. Now, regarding that, I said, you know, I don't agree with what he did. I'm just going to offer you this. The, the, the same, uh, it was, uh, JR came to me and, and um, graciously offered to me some thoughts around that. And, and, you know, one of the things he said to me, and again, you, you, we're all, you can be wherever you are on these things, but he said, Lord, are you as upset with why he did what he did? as you are that he did what he did when he did it. And I just want you to know that for me, you know, that question from a brother who loves me was really good, really good. Am I as upset the why, am I, you know, that I could say strongly, I, and it's made me think. And uh, it's also made me reflect on what you and I just did, which is stand up and say, I need you, you need me, we're better together. You know what? I needed JR to come to me like that. And I'm better for it. Uh, by the way, it's funny, uh, when we did stand up and do that, because uh, my friend Chet Frist was here, they were g g visiting here, and when he turned around to meet JR, JR said, I'm not saying that, but I'll introduce myself. <laughs> you know, sometimes he come to a stranger, right? Because he's kind of, that's kind of awkward, whatever. Anyways, on a, on, on a serious note, I, I want to own what I said and, and, again, apologize for that. And, um, man, it's good for my heart to be challenged, to think about things often in ways I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about them. Well, we are in the fourth message of a series called Wholehearted. Wholehearted. It is a series where we're, y'all, we're at 20 years, and um, we're looking back this way and going, this is what God has done. And now we're looking this way and we're going, What's he gonna keep, what does he wanna do through us? And it's absolutely appropriate at this critical juncture that we take inventory, and that's what we've done. 
You know, what is, who, who has God made us to be now? And how will we rethink our mission and values as we move forward? And so you'll remember we began the series by telling our story, warts and all. Because when we tell our story, we don't carry the shame in that story. And I'm going to tell you, the, the story of fellowship as a church is flawed, just like every individual in the room. God's been gracious and good, and who knows what he may do with us as we move forward. So we started with our story, and then uh, I came up and, and I uh, did this, the message on our values. And values are like fletchings on an arrow that make the arrow fly straight. If we want to get straight to our mission, we have to have these values that guide us and keep us straight. And have, we have five core values, things that, I mean, we think about these. They shape who we are and what we do every day, every decision. Does anybody want to take a shot at them other than Eric or anyone on staff? No one has taken me up on this and what, now five messages? I get it. It's okay. I want to go through them with you. We are, and they're we statements because we, we own them. If we're here, we are word-centered. We are spirit-dependent. We are better together. We are courageously real. And I'm going to ask you to say the last one with me, if you can. We are not about ourselves. Thank you for saying that. And may we live that way, that we're not about ourselves, that we are here for a purpose that's bigger than us. And for those who don't know Christ and those that God wants to bring to himself. Well, after that, Rob then uh, picked up and, and began to unpack our mission. Our mission is what we do. And I love the way he did it because it was up on the screens where he had this big circle. He said, let's talk, you know, when we say renew a mission, why do we say renew? Because the mission of the church never changes. It's, it's, always, it's always been what Jesus commanded it to be. And at that scale, look at, the, look at the biggest circle on a target. And Rob said, you know, this is all of humanity. And humans have been created to glorify God. Got that? Everyone is. But then those, whom, those who put their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that would be the church universal and church local. The church has a particular mission, and that is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So, so the, the mission of the church is to glorify God and make disciples. But then you take the target, the very center, and that very center is like the thumbprint, the fingerprint of every church. Because while every church is, is, exists to glorify God and make disciples, every church glorifies God and makes disciples in their own unique way. Uh, why are you, I'm, I'm, you know, think about it, why are you at Fellowship Bible Church Franklin and not at Rolling Hills this morning, a fabulous church that's glorifying God and making disciples. Or you're, you're you know, at a church of the city or you're at Brentwood Baptist. You know, you're here because this is our particular fingerprint seems to fit, you know, for you. And every church has its unique fingerprint. And the, the better and the more a church lives its unique identity, I'm telling you this, honestly, the more effective that church is because it's more who we're made to be, Right? So, so that's the center of the target, the mission. And our mission, as Rob unpacked it, we'll see these slides. It, we exist to glorify God and make disciples. Well, what's our fingerprint? By helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And, and Rob said, okay, now everyone's asking the next question. What is wholehearted life 
in Jesus? That's a great question. And we're gonna unpack that this morning. I'll warn you, I'm already, I know I'm gonna go a little long on this because it's so critical that we grasp it. We're gonna unpack what I'm describing as a theology of the heart. Uh, We have to have a theology of the heart if we're gonna help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. Now we're gonna answer, you know, uh, we're we're gonna develop a theology of the heart by answering four questions. What is the heart in the Bible? What does the heart do? according to the Bible? Why does the heart matter, according to the Bible? And the last one I won't spend time on, and yet it's actually probably the most fundamental. How does the heart function? I was in this room yesterday with 200, almost 200 people at Fellowship in Brentwood who are going through our discipleship, whole heart discipleship program. And just so you know, I did three messages on what I'm talking about now. It was all day that we met. And we have been sweating BBs over this messages, we being me and Rob, Eric, Paige, and others, because leadership teams, because it is so critical for where we're going. And and I mean this when I say it, if, if we don't get what I'm about to describe, and if we don't go, well, that's biblical, then we'll miss it. I mean, we're off, quite frankly. And so I'm gonna be very careful how I go through this message. You're gonna see, I'm gonna use more slides in this message than I've used in 21 years that I've been here. In one message. So don't try to take notes, per se, because you won't get it. I'll be moving too fast. Everybody with me? So you're just gonna look up at the screen when uh, John throws that slide up and we're gonna read verses. We're gonna, I'm gonna have quotes, all kinds of stuff up there. And uh, I wish I could interact with you as I did yesterday as I went through this, but uh, time is not gonna permit this. So with that, I'm simply gonna dive in. Four questions. The first is this. What's the heart in scripture? What is it? Uh, we need to let the Bible inform us. That, that's for sure. Do you know in the Bible, the word heart is used over a thousand times? Do you know if you took the words faith, hope, and love and put them all together and said, how many times are they used in the Bible? It's about 700. But heart is over a thousand. Depends on your translation. It's the Hebrew lev or lavav. It's the Greek cardia with a K. Of of the over thousand times it's used, I can't even put my fingers close enough to do this if, if this is a thousand times it's used. Maybe two or three times it's used of the physical organ, the physical heart. You know, they, they knew there was an organ in our body located in the center of our chest, basically, by which blood was pumped through the body. They knew that. And in the Bible, though, when, when, the, when uh, Lev or Lavav or Cardia is translated, it's only two or three times that it's the physical organ. So that's not much at all. And there's only one or two times where it's translated how we would use heart metaphorically as in something that's almost out of reach, like i.e. in the heart of the sea, okay? So that's minute. So really the overwhelming majority of times the Bible uses the word heart, it is describing the immaterial part of man. We are body, aren't we? We know that. But don't we know we are soul spirit, right? You know? 
there's an immaterial part of us. And that immaterial part of us, quite frankly, is described most often in the Bible as heart. It's your heart. It's your heart. And I will know that you guys are getting this one day when one of you comes up to me and says, every time I read my Bible, I keep seeing the word heart now. Because you will. You cannot avoid it. And there's a reason why, okay? What is the heart in Scripture? Here's some definitions from, uh, first, the New Bible Dictionary. One of my go-to resources, look up on the screen. And this will all be on the website. All's on the website. The heart was essentially the whole man with all his attributes, physical, intellectual, psychological, of which the Hebrew thought and spoke. And the heart was conceived as the governing center of all these things. It is the heart which makes a man what he is and governs all his actions, character, personality, will, mind, are modern terms which all reflect something of the meaning of heart in its biblical usage. Another go-to for me, I think very trustworthy in terms of content and those who contribute, Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible. Erdman's Dictionary of Theology, notice this. The writer says, the ancients did not use detailed psychology, psychological vocabulary to make the fine distinctions used in modern speech. The Hebrew thought of the whole human being and personality with all its physical, intellectual, and psychological attributes when they used heart. It was considered the governing center for all of these. It is the heart, the core, which makes and identifies the person. We're asking the question, what is the heart in Scripture? Here's all of that boiled down into a short phrase. The heart in Scripture is who you truly are. And it's all that you are. That's the heart in Scripture. It's who you truly are and all that you are. Notice this next verse I put up, Proverbs 27, 19. I read, I read the Proverbs every day. I want to encourage you just on a whim. If you don't, make, you might make that part of your diet. But you know, 31 Proverbs, read a proverb a day. I read them, I read it every day. Sometimes I'm honest with you, you know, I read it. I don't even remember what I read. But I read it every day, okay? So you read it every day. And I've read this verse hundreds of times. And just revisiting it with this passage just made me stop and go, just stop a minute, Lloyd, look at this. What this is saying is, in the same way, notice, as water, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Now, we've already noted that the heart is, is who you truly are. So when you look in a bucket of water, it's smooth on top, what you see reflected is truly your face. That, that's your face. But if you want to see who you truly are, that's just your face. If you want to see who you truly are, you have to look in your heart. Because then when you look there, let me tell you, what reflects back at you, that's who you are. The implications of this are profound. Listen to Dr. Robert Saucy. My small group's doing uh, his book. It's, 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 a, it's a little heady in some ways, but... It's so good on these issues called minding the heart. Notice he says this. It's not how we look, this is on the screen, or what status or position we have or what we have accomplished or even what others think of us that determines who we are. If I stopped right there and we all went home, that's gold. That's real gold. You understand you're not who you, what you do. You're not what you've accomplished. That, that doesn't define you. 
True self-knowledge comes from looking inwardly at the thoughts and attitudes that reside deep in the heart. Since the real identity of a person is his heart, the heart often equals the person. What is the heart in scripture? The heart, you guys, is who you truly are. And it's all that you are. Okay, what does the heart do? I am going to move through some passages. I'm going to read them. I'm going to ask you a question. It's not a trick question. And I'm going to say, what do those verses tell us the heart does? Because I want you to understand, I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible expresses to us. We are doing biblical theology as we do this. So I'm going to read the verse. I'm going to say, what, does the, what do those verses tell us implicitly or explicitly that the heart does? Follow along, Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Proverbs 27, 3. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Matthew 9, 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your heart? Heart. So according to those verses, not according to Lloyd, not according to some book we've all read, according to the Bible, those verses tell us one of the functions of the heart is, is what? What just say out a word? Thoughts. Thoughts. It's to think. We reason with our... Wait, 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 wait. Our heart. See that? We all, we all want to go, we reason with our head. And y'all, this is physiologic. This is anatomically correct. I know I get that. But if we're thinking biblically, we don't go, I think, with my heart. We go like this. Look, we think with our hearts. That's what the Bible's teaching us. There's more. Genesis 6, 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. John 16. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Paul in Romans 9, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. According to the Bible, another function of the heart is what? Say it out loud. Some, you, emotions. It's our feelings. It, yeah. And, and we get that, right? My feelings. But this is what I'm trying to help us understand according to the Bible. It's not that we think and we feel. That's not, the Bible wants us to understand we think and we feel from this, from the heart, spiritually our heart, the center that governs all that we are and do. There's more Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 1, 24, therefore God gave them, gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart. Matthew 6, familiar verse, I'm using the New Living Translation, just kind of unpacks it more. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. According to the Bible, another function of our heart, our heart is the wellspring of what? Of, of desires, it's, it's out of our heart. Desires come out of our heart. Well, what's, isn't it a desire the same thing as an emotion? I don't think so. 
You know, I, I think we feel sadness, we, we feel joy, but desires, this is more motivation. This is deeper within us. These are, I'm gonna use another word that helps. These are yearnings, longings that we have. Not feelings, but longings of our heart, you see. So now, you know, if we think biblically, we gotta stop and go, man, you know, the heart is who I truly am and it's all that I am. And with my heart, I think, I feel, I desire. That's all in my heart. It's all, it's all in, it comprises of all of that. And there's more. Exodus 35, 22 says, then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women came and brought Brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. When Moses invited them to give to the building of the temple, their hearts moved them. Second Corinthians 9, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, purposed in the heart. Romans 6, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. I'll just say this one. It is from the heart that we choose. I say it's from the heart that we obey. You see, you go, no, it's from my will. That's our psychological term for that. It's appropriate. But can I say the biblical term is that it's your heart. In other words, our will is a part of our heart. So think about this, okay? Think about it. We, with our heart, we think, we feel, we desire, and we choose. The heart is who you truly are. It's all that you are, and it's your thoughts, emotions, desires, and your choices. According to the Bible, uh, when you look in a still, still water, you see your face, but if you'll look inside, you will see your heart who you truly are. And so with that, I want to add to the definition. It's another slide. Let me just add it to the definition. What is the heart? The heart is who you truly are. It's all that you are in thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. And can I say, and I'll probably say it over and over in different places, God has a heart. God himself will say, he'll say, I'm gonna do this with my heart and soul. And you go, wait, God had, no, God, sometimes we see the Bible speaks of God having an arm that rescues, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an anthropomorphic term. It's a, it's a human body term applied to God so we kind of understand God better. And, and God has a heart and, and God's heart, can I say this? It's inarguable, quite frankly. It, out of God's heart, he thinks, he feels, he desires, and he chooses. And guess whose image we're made in? God, you see. And so this is, I think it's theologically, logically consistent as we're doing this theology. What is the heart? What does the heart do? Why does the heart matter? Why does it matter? There's many places we can go, but I'm gonna plant us here because the heart is the source of life. It's out of the heart we live. Not, not because the heart beats blood and pumps the blood around, but it is the heart from which our spiritual life, which we were made to live, flows. Look at Proverbs 4.23. We read it earlier. 
Watch over your heart. You've probably read this a hundred times. I want you to think about it differently. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. Different translations on the second part, New Living Translation. For it determines the course of your life. The message, that's where life starts. The New King James, for out of it spring the issues of life. Life, men and women, spiritual life, life itself flows from the heart. It flows from the heart. Jesus, in John 7, 38, he, he makes this statement. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let's think biblically about these words. When Jesus says, out of his innermost being, what word can we put right there? What's he talking about? Y'all see that? See, when we read this, don't get confused. He's talking about the heart. And John says he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so what, what Jesus is saying is that when, when we put our trust and faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and the Spirit indwells us, the Spirit produces in us life, eternal life. There, it's a well that never runs dry, and it flows out. You see, think of Ecclesiastes. Remember the phrase in Ecclesiastes, life is gift, not gain? See, we think life, we, in our fallenness, we think life is what we get and gain. I'm getting, it, I'm getting more life, and I have more stuff, and I got life. No, life is gift, the spirit in your heart flowing out, flowing out. And it never stops flowing because it's an eternal well of life. The heart is the source of life because y'all, that's what God changes. When we talk about changed lives, okay, let's not miss that we're talking about changed hearts expressed in this body and life that we live, but it's our heart that God changes. What is the heart? What does the heart do? Why does the heart matter? How does the heart function? All right, I, I, I gotta get this, you can see this a little better. I wanna, I wanna illustrate this. Um, some of y'all didn't know I was an artist. That's the great reveal. No, all I did was this. Uh, you don't have to clap. Y'all are making fun of me now. Uh, it's, all I did was those lines, but it's a, it's a heart, okay? We've got the heart in a, in a body. And um, if, you don't, if, you, if you get some of this, whatever, I hope you get this, this, this is so, so critical. It's almost like this is the linchpin of the whole thing. How does the heart function? Well, it's interesting, and I don't think it's an accident. I, I'm not trying to, we're not trying to be cute with this per se, but you know, the heart functions as a whole. The heart functions as a whole. And uh, how many literal parts are there to the human heart? You guys know this. How many? Four, yeah, yeah. You know what, the, you know what they are? Somebody yell them out. Yeah, atrium and ventricles, right and left. Um, think of it this way, it's okay. Uh, I'm not trying to say that, I'm not trying to make more of this than it needs to be, but it, it fits. And we've talked about that the heart, right? Our, our spiritual heart, and there could be more. Some, some people, you'll read this, some people say the heart is the mind, emotions, and the will. 
totally fine. You see, but they're saying their parts are. I'm viewing it, we're viewing it to say it, it, it is. It's the mind, it's the emotions and the will, but it's also desires. See, because I think the desires are really important. There's a reason I'm gonna put it up here the way I do, and you'll see that in a moment. But if we took the human heart and we said, well, the human heart has four parts and there's the, the, the right atrium, the right ventricle, the left atrium and the left ventricle, right? And if you didn't have, I don't know, you don't have a right atrium, what are you? You don't live. Yeah, this, this is not being funny. It's the truth. You don't live. What, what if um, the four parts of your heart were not connected and functioning together? What would you be? You see, you'd be there. Yeah, I had a, um, a little bit of a scare, you know. Uh, I was, you know, about six months ago more, I, I just noticed there would be times I have shortness of breath. You know, there'd be times where I'd, my seatbelt's right here and, it's, and I'd go, why does it just feel pressure right there? And there'd be times I'd have this... <coughs> Y'all may notice when I was teaching sometimes, I would just get this cough and people would bring me water and I think, I'm not sick, but this cough just started. Um, and so I went to see my doctor, you know, go get, go get checked for everything, uh, did a stress test. And, and it turns out I have this, this, these things called PVCs, which now I know a bunch of you have, you know, they're these preventricular contractions. It's like an extra heartbeat. And when it hits me, I get this shortness of breath, whatever. It's like, they had to check everything out. Everything's good, you know, and of course... You know, they actually went down when I knew what they were, right? Because it's caused by stress and everything else that's bad for you. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with that, it's not like the dentist said, you have a cavity, right? Why? It's my heart, <laughs> okay? Okay, it's my heart here. Um, and that's what we think about here. The spiritual life is our heart. This is not something we play with. And the heart clearly Human hearts meant to function as, as one, right? It's the same truth with our heart spiritually. Literally, it's the same truth. That thoughts, emotions, desires, And choices are meant to function as one. Now, let me tie this to the character and the heart of God. The great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you know what he says right after that? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. See that at the core, the repetition in that, and, and by the way, even when Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you'll see in the gospels, it all roots in the Deuteronomy passage, but you'll see in the gospels, sometimes Jesus changes the order. It's always heart and soul first. And then in one, he doesn't include Mind, I think. So, so, so what's this all about? Is this different part? No, it's Jesus saying, with all, with all, with all. See, the point is, because God is one, we are to love our God with the whole of our one heart, with, the, with oneness of heart. Okay, let me think about that. What is the heart? Ooh, the heart is all that I truly am, all that I am and it's in my thoughts. With, with all, love God and love others. It's, 
the heart is an integrated whole. An integrated whole. It functions as one distinct parts of our heart, but one and connected. Now, with that, um, I want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to engage with this illustration a little bit more, and I want to first walk us through what I believe happened in the garden. And, and the reason I'm doing this again, I know I'm kind of repeating myself. I hope you guys are hanging in there with me on this. But I want to make sure, we want to make sure you understand we're doing biblical theology, not world theology, biblical theology. In the Garden of Eden, God creates man and woman there in the garden. I want to suggest that, that they lived from their whole heart before the fall. Well, Lord, what do you mean they live from their whole heart? Well, I believe that as God placed them there, that they lived according to the truth of God in their mind. And that truth shaped their emotional life. They had an emotional life because we're, we're emotional people. You can't get away from that. And that God's truth formed and shaped their desires and longings. And therefore, they chose out of those God-shaped desires and longings how they would live their life. And before the fall... <clears throat> Think about what God gave humanity. What created the earth, placed them on it, gave them an unbelievable role and responsibility to co-reign and co-rule with him. This is mind-boggling what God did and invested in them. And by the way, oh, they lost it. But we're gonna get it back one day. Better than even for them, <laughs> you see. So they lived wholehearted, okay? And then that doggone serpent, the enemy of our souls, came in and he planted something in their minds, in their thoughts. What did Satan introduce to Adam and Eve in their thinking? What was it? A lie. A lie. And you understand, and that lie began to shape their whole heart. See, it'll shape your whole heart. It shaped their emotional life. It shaped their desires and their longings. Lloyd, how do you know it shaped their desires and longings? Because, because we choose out of our desires and longings. And so believing the lie, when they chose the fruit, can I tell you this? Adam and Eve did not choose the fruit reluctantly. Adam and Eve did not go, I don't know, you want, I don't, probably shouldn't. I'm telling you, when they chose the fruit, you know why they chose the fruit? Because they wanted it. <laughs> they wanted it. Because they had believed the lie, which had shaped their heart. And so they, and they took it and they ate. And it plunged humanity into fallenness. And it didn't satisfy them, did it? It did not give them what they wanted because they believed the lie. God had said, this is what you're made for. And your wants, when they're aligned with what I've made you for, oh, this is life. They believed the lie. And think about what happens in the garden. Think about it the theologically and biblically. Death. What is the essence of death? Separation. When you die, your soul, spirit, your heart is separated from your body. And there's your body laying there in ashes. 
but we believe the heart, you, you, your soul, spirit lives forever with God. Now, it doesn't diminish the body. Listen, your bodies matter because God said he's gonna resurrect that body and reconnect it with your heart and soul, you see, and you're gonna live forever in this amazing resurrected body. But separation. And so in the garden, at the moment of the fall, oh my goodness, everything blew apart. We know that they were separated from God now, right? How do we know they were separated from God? Because they hid from God, no longer walked in fellowship with God. They were hiding. Where are you? They were hiding. They were separated from each other. How do you know, Lloyd? How do you know they were, how do you know they were separated from each other? What's evidence in the text? They blamed each other. If you hadn't given me sheet... They were separated from creation that they were to steward. How do we know they were separated from that? Because there's weeds now. Weeds, 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 sweat of the brow. And they were separated from themselves. What do you mean they're separated from themselves? They were separated within. Well, how, do you, how do you even pull that from that? Well, they now cover themselves with fig leaves. You see, before the fall, they were naked and unashamed. And now they're naked <clears throat> and ashamed. Shame, shame. Guilt means I've done something wrong. I've made a mistake. It's a gift that we feel guilt. Shame says I'm a mistake. That's so far from the biblical truth. What I'm saying is this, visually, when Adam and Eve chose the fruit, their heart blew apart. And every one of us are born in this world with a fractured disintegrated, separated, divided heart. It's in us. It's, it's separated out. This is not how we were intended to live life. Now, again, I'm going to illustrate this. Um, stay with me. But I want you to think about the problem we have. We've got a heart problem. If we just had a behavior problem, what could we do? We, we could fix, we could start behaving better. Uh, we, it's not a problem. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. If you and I have a heart problem, you all, there is no heart doctor on the planet that can fix it. Artificial intelligence will never get there. Do you see our dilemma? We're in trouble. We, we are. We're, we're, we're lost is what the Bible calls it. And hopeless unless God does something. And so Jesus himself, note Mark 7, said it this way. He said, for within, out of the heart, men 
out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. You get the point. Jesus was saying even to the Pharisees in this, look, man, it's not the way you behave. That doesn't make you evil. It's what's in you. Oh, you know, if you're a Pharisee, you're, you're, you're feeling pretty darn good because you are, I mean, of, of anyone, you are doing the deeds. You're living the life. And Jesus looks at him and said, that's not, it's in you. And suddenly Jesus says, you're a whitewashed tomb. Do y'all know what that is? That's like, have, just imagine a casket, okay? Imagine a casket and you went to a funeral and in the casket was not the, you know, the formaldehyde filled body of someone, but their rotting flesh. The casket looks awesome. Cost about 10 grand, but inside it's just death. That's what he says is a person whose heart is shattered. I mean, outside they were fabulous, straight A's. 36 on the ACT, 1600 on the SAT, and perfection in life. But inside you're dead, you're dead, dead, dead. You're rotting, you smell like rotten flesh. It's repulsive to God. We have a big heart problem. Now with that, I want you to listen to the language of the Old Testament prophets. And this is where you know, we're always encouraging you to go, you gotta get the whole Bible in context because listen to this language and, and notice, how it, notice how it's hinting at what God's going to do. The Old Testament prophets looked forward and called this the new covenant when God comes and Jesus comes. This is the new covenant God's gonna bring. I just want you to listen to the language uh, of, of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, 26. Listen to what he says. It's echoing all of Jeremiah's new covenant promises. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, you read that and you go, what's he talking about? He's talking about when you and I come to faith in Jesus. And and, And when we do, what is the New Testament? We're born again. And we receive a new heart. And God replaces the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And he puts the law in our hearts. And, it, and, and, and Jeremiah speaks of it as the, the, rock, the rock heart's gone and now it's flesh and I'm riding it on the heart of flesh. Paul says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What's become new? My toe, just my mind, my leg, my heart, my heart, my heart is new, you see. And so, In salvation, men and women, our heart, our heart, the one that we can't put together, Humpty Dumpty, sat on the wall, had a great fall, the king's horse, all the king's men couldn't put it together. We can't put together our heart, but the gospel does. Woo, life in Christ, you see. Now, before you keep clapping, whoa, hold it. The beauty of this, I think, is reflected in David's words when he said this. Look on the screen, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Notice the NIV translation. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Y'all, I'm not saying that David was sitting in his throne one day and said, I think the heart's in four pieces. I think I'm gonna ask God to, but I will say this. When David says, unite my heart and give me an undivided heart, 
literally the Hebrew there is not um, give me a heart that's wholly yours. It literally is join. That's why he uses the word unite, join. And I do think there's something that's in that that's reminding us that these fragmented, divided hearts of ours, the gospel brings together and and David's hymn, unite my heart to fear your name, oh God. Why I told you to not clap is because it is, we could clap on that because God, that's our salvation, but we got a problem, y'all. It's called sin. And more specifically, it's called the flesh. So when Paul speaks of the flesh in the New Testament, what's he talking about? He's talking about that principle of sin that resides in every heart in this room and will be there till the day you die. It's that principle of, of sin within us by which we are permanently bent towards sin. Permanently bent towards sin. And that principle, you see, while we're forgiven of our sin and while we're set free from the power of sin, okay, we're no longer slaves to sin. Then why do I sin? Uh, Because we don't walk in the fullness of the spirit and our flesh trims us and we choose the flesh. That's why we sin. We have this principle. God's given us the spirit and the whole process of sanctification is dependence upon the spirit, not upon the flesh. This is our Christian life. So we still, we still choose to live out of a divided heart. We do. Often. We often do it. And I want to say, we, you and I as Christians, we do live out of divided hearts. I think I lived a lot of my life out of divided heart, even as a Christian. I'll illustrate it this way. Many of us, I'm speaking of believers now, take what the Bible says, and we go, if the Bible says it, and it tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. And you look at me and say, Lloyd, what's wrong with that? Well, let me keep going. The Bible says it, I'm going to do it. The Bible says it, I'm going to do it. The Bible says it, I'm going to do it. I want to suggest this. If we are living our faith with simply our thoughts and choices out of our mind and our will, I think something's missing. What's missing? It's not our whole heart. And I want to suggest, and again, I could put different categories on these. I just want to suggest, I think this might be legalism because this is exactly how the Pharisees lived. It's how they lived, I'm telling you. And there was no tears of Jesus. There was no compassion of Christ. You know, there's another way a lot of us can live and it's out of our emotions, you know, and I'm, I get this. I get accused of this sometimes because I'll talk about the heart and emotions and, and, and some, some say, you know, everything, you just think if you feel it, you do it. And I go, that's never what I've said. And I hope you hear me saying right now, your emotions matter. Your emotions are true. But it's not the only truth. But if you can't feel your emotions I just want to offer to you, and again, I know everyone's not at the same level of feeling their emotions, but if we're made in the image of God, then that's, that's at some level of a, a, a flaw of spiritual maturity that you can't feel what you feel because God's a feeling God. There's a lot I can say on that, but I don't want you walking out of here going, man, you know, Lloyd, Fellowship, they're just going to go all, all in on feelings. Well, I actually am. 
because feelings are a part of the heart and we're all in on the heart. And therefore, when I say feelings, don't ever disconnect that from the mind, the desires, and the choices. What did I say about the heart earlier? The most important thing I want you to walk out of here with. It's an integrated whole. If we live out of our feelings only and feelings become our truth that we act on, and, this, and people do it, I mean, this happens. And so, you know, I'm just, you know, this is, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to suffer because I want the right, I want the yummy feelings and we choose life that way. I, I think we could just call this hedonism. It's not a good thing. Hedonism. Uh, I don't want anything yucky in my life. If it doesn't feel right, doesn't make me happy, doesn't bring me pleasure, I don't want to do it. And um, this is not what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus lived the fullest life in, on the planet. And in that full life, what was, what was within Jesus' life? Pain and joy. Sadness and grief. Happy and rejoice. Suffering. Jesus calls us to suffer because he suffered. It's not like... He came to relieve suffering. No, we will suffer, but in our suffering, we have life in Christ, and he demonstrated that. So we can't live as hedonists that just say no pain. No, no, no. God has a purpose in the pain. How about someone who lives just from their desires? And people do. And so it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I have a longing, and you know what? These are God-given, aren't they? They're, they're, God places these. When God placed them in the, Adam and Eve on the planet, if you look at what God gave them to do and be, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, wow, they were made for significance. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, they were made to do something that lasts forever. Hmm, yeah. Is that still in us? I hope you say, that's still in us because that's who we're, what we were made for. But if you just take those longings and say, you know, I, I wanna, I, I'm going to just live from my longings. Nah, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to connect to my, the truth. That's not irrelevant. I'm not going to connect with my emotions. No, no, no. What, what I'm going to live from is my deep desires. I want to say that this is some form of narcissism. Do you know what a narcissist is? A narcissist is someone, and this is a good thing, someone who wants to really matter. Now, where do you think that longing came from? It came from God. But in our fallenness, it gets whacked out and twisted, and suddenly, uh, for the narcissist, for me to matter, I need to be the hero of every story. For me to matter, I need everybody to understand I'm the best. For me to matter, do you see that? That's what the narcissist will do. It doesn't matter what it costs around them. They, to feel like I really matter, they, they must be the hero of every story. Here's what's crazy, y'all. People who live out of their desires as narcissists or live out of emotions just in hedonism or live out of just their thoughts and legalism, they are, they are quite frankly, they're some of the most successful, well-paid powerful people on the planet. It's so true, isn't it? And they build amazing churches. Many, I'm just saying this, they do, they're amazing people. They do, they do amazing things. I, I'm jealous of what they have a lot of times, quite, quite honestly. But if Ecclesiastes taught us anything, is this, if we live out of a divided heart in this way and we live that way, doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying? The world rewards these. Not the Bible. Not the Bible. And unless you think you've escaped it, there's a little bit of ism 
in all of us. <laughs> it's there. But what does the gospel do? This is where, this is the beauty. Is what I, I'm gonna revise the drawing a little to say, look, yes, yes, the gospel gives us a new heart. And our new heart, quite frankly, and, and you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to be cute with this, but I just like it and I think it can, I think it, it helps us understand, honestly, the gospel. See, the, the gospel itself, what brings, all, what brings our heart together, the gospel? What is at the core of the gospel? Say it. It's the cross, y'all. Doesn't this make sense when Paul said, I'll boast in nothing but the cross? Now, when you and I begin to continually live out of the truth of God's word and we live connected to our emotional life because it's part of our heart and we're connected to our desires and longings. We don't deny them. We go, they're there. They're real. You understand the truth begins to shape and change our desires. This is the miracle of the gospel. It, it is that we are forgiven and cleansed from all sin and unrighteousness and we're clothed with his righteousness and we're secure in Christ forever. That's the miracle of the gospel. And never forget that the miracle of the gospel is it changes our desires. Isn't that what you and I deeply want? Like, do I want to live my Christian life of it says it, I'll do it. There's a, there's a place for a straight out obedience. But what we really want is I want to want to do it. And the gospel in time changes my desires. And I want to do it. I want to Oh my gosh, is that life indeed for us, you all? And when we are living with the cross at the center of a united heart, we get to our desires. And when I make my choice, my choice must go through the cross. And so, in a far out example, I'm living with a divided heart. And Lisa, she's just not doing it for me anymore. I don't feel alive when I'm with her. She's my wife. But there's another woman that makes me feel like a man. And so I'm gonna choose. See that? Put, your, put it as a woman. There's a woman and she's just, husband's not doing it. And another man is. And yet, but what if, you see, if I, if I live with a divided heart long enough, I'll, I will make this jump. But if I'm living with a united heart centered on the cross of Christ, I can say here, and there are times, you know what? When Lisa's not doing it for me, that's the truth. And I'm not doing it for her. But Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection has demonstrated that he is my deepest satisfaction. He is, he's everything. And you know, I'm, I'm almost, I'm yelling this because I believe it, but there are times I don't. There are a lot of times I don't. 
but I want to. I can't change my heart, y'all. But I'll tell you what, I can trust the truth. I can live with a whole heart. And I believe the Holy Spirit will change my desires. And far be it from me, oh God, that I'd choose some trashy, unfulfilling idol like sex or money or power or food or out when I've got Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Man, I believe this with my whole heart. I don't always live it. Oh, that I would. I know that we would. Probably set a record for going over. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song because I want to. (laughs) How about that? But it's a good word to us to remind us that Jesus is the king of our hearts. I'm going to put a word up on the screen just to remind you. I I said we're going to answer the question, what is wholehearted life in Jesus? Well, here's the answer. Wholehearted life in Jesus is when our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices unite to find our deepest longings and our greatest hopes fulfilled in Jesus alone. That's wholehearted life with the king of our hearts. Mm -hmm.